0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange podcast: Stories by Leaders for Leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence, to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Hello, everyone. It's Hugh Balu. Welcome to this episode of the Nonprofit Exchange. Over the last seven and a half years we've interviewed some amazing thought leaders. Um, some of them don't call themselves thought leaders, but they've stepped up to a vision that they've seen. And they've shared their stories, they've shared their wisdom, they've shared what worked, what didn't work. And we've all um, had a good time, but we've learned something. And I like the quote from uh, British conductor, composer, Ralph Vaughan Williams, who said, "'Music did not reveal all of its secrets to just one person.' And so as we lead in the very difficult space of nonprofits and, and social benefit organizations, for purpose organizations, I like to say, um, we have hard work ahead of us, but we have a vision and we're dedicated to it. So my guest today is Paul Dunn and uh, I'm in East Coast time in America and he's in Singapore. So he stayed up late tonight, uh, at night to be able to share with us today, so uh, Paul, welcome to the nonprofit exchange, and give people a little sense of who Paul Dunn is. Give us a little bit about your background and how you ended up where you are today.
1: Well, uh, thank you, Hugh, and I love the way you said the nonprofit thing. The emphasis on the "the," and so I'm uh, I'm very thrilled to be here. And of course, uh, I am in Singapore, and so I am. 12 hours ahead of you. And as someone said earlier today, so you're in the future. Well, that's an interesting way of thinking about it. But <laughs> but anyway, uh, so yes, I'm very privileged to be here. In fact, when I think about my life, you ask me, you know, what, what's Paul Dunn all about? I think it is just one of enormous fortune and uh, uh, therefore something I'm incredibly grateful for each day. I mean, how lucky, just think about it, you know, how I th- here's the interesting thing when I talk about lucky, you know, um there's theoretically you know when you read all the management books and all of that kind of stuff you're supposed to go on the the hero's journey you know that whole thing of you know that star wars is built around and so many other stories are around right where you know you have the up and then the down and then you go you know that whole thing right and uh, I, I, I sometimes get disappointed because I'm going, no, I, actually, my, my journey wasn't like that. <laughs> I, was, I just thought I was so lucky. I mean, how lucky can you be at age 21, uh, just a few years ago, to uh, be uh, hauled out of, well, no, that's the wrong way to say it, to be uh, there working away in uh, the uh, United Kingdom, just outside of London, and then to get invited to go to Australia, uh, to be one of the first ten people in Hewlett Packard. Right? I mean, how how lucky can you be, right? And you're sitting down with, uh, literally, with with Bill Hewlett and, and Dave Packard. Interestingly, about uh, eighteen months ago, when we could fly, I was flying to speak in Silicon Valley. Uh, at, a, at a big uh, uh, session there with some 5,300 people. And on the way there, you know how you can sit back on the plane and you can watch movies. There was a movie all about Silicon Valley, which was kind of interesting. And it mentioned that Bill and Dave were, you know, the original people in the original garage right there uh, in Silicon Valley. So that's where it started. And, and you know, how you, you can imagine, uh, working with people like that who were reinventing what leadership meant was just uh, an amazing experience. And then, uh, you know, I got inspired to then do my quote unquote own thing. And I started one of Australia's first uh, computer companies. And then I, I went to something I didn't even know what they were, Hugh, this in, in the days before we knew what the word seminar meant. Okay, not seminary, but seminar. And there I got to uh, be in, I got dragged to it actually. I really didn't want to go. I got dragged to it. And there I was uh, uh, engaged with uh, a guy who sadly died about four years ago, uh, James Roan or Jim Roan. And uh, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I had this incredible experience of like being in a time tunnel and and i kind of saw him as me if that if that make makes sense and i realized instantly that there was something that um, i literally had to do and uh, that was to find ways of sharing some of the thoughts i had with uh, people right around the world and so then that led to building Uh, a company which was interestingly called Results Corporation where we were bringing exactly that for 23,000 small to medium scale uh, businesses right around the world and then I uh, kind of flipped that and, and realized that every single one of those had an accountant and so I thought well wouldn't it be interesting to actually shift everything so that accountants around the world could actually deliver the kind of stuff that we were delivering. And so then we had, uh, what, 17,700 accounting firms come through these programs. And then, in fact, the most difficult time was right then. It was in the year 2000. And uh, various people close to me were saying, come on, you know, you're working all the hours that God gave, you should retire. And uh, I I, I tried to do that. I, I went to France. and and uh, was uh, there in Provence, but it was very challenging. It was incredibly challenging. And uh, then three years later, I I couldn't do that anymore. (laughs) So I had to get up uh, and uh, do my thing, as it were, because I think one of the great things about leadership, and by the way, I, I neglected to say thank you to everybody joining us today as well. Thank you so much for doing that. And one of the great things about leadership is to continue to be curious, isn't it? Just to be curious about, you know, how things are changing and and, and how we as as leaders can, uh, uh, well, have have the privilege of of doing that. I mean, how how incredible is that to to be able to do that? Um, And uh, to... take account of all of the things that are happening and you know and 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 lead from different perspectives i i mean i think one of the most interesting things and i'm not sure how it's been for you and and uh, the people that you're privileged to serve but you know the it's, for me it's been really interesting looking at what's been happening in the pandemic as a for example you know and i think uh, not to not to want not to minimize some of the, you know, awful uh, 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 things that happened there. I think what has happened is that, or one of the things that happened is it's accelerated the, the impact of all of those things that you and I have been talking about for many years, you know, like uh, like being impact driven, like being on purpose and all of that kind of stuff. And so my experience during that was that there were leaders who just froze right they 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 had no idea what to do like it was like oh you know and so panic set in and they literally froze which is which is kind of not a good thing but right? it's, it's a downward slope and then there were others who sort of uh, uh what, what's the word they were just kind of bobbing up and down and seeing you know what would happen and of course um, you know, they, they started a particular point and they ended at exactly the same point that they were, as in bobbing up and down. And then there were others, I think, so the pandemic, I think, was a great example of leadership in action where you saw people accelerating uh, growth. Be- and and there were, you know, the reason that I saw that happen is because it was those leaders who were very, very, very clear Uh, about where they were going you know pandemic or not kind of thing and that's not to say they may have changed up but they had uh, if you will what Stephen Covey all those years ago referred to as you know something bigger than themselves that north star that they were aiming for and that north star was always there and that was always driving them and yet the, the people who didn't have that kind of didn't have anything to aim for, if that, if that makes sense. And so, you know, their companies, their people, all of that kind of stuff were in total uh, disarray. And, uh, you know, we're seeing the impacts of that. But at the same time, we're seeing these positive impacts of, of, uh, of, of people asking different questions. And, and for example, things like, oh, you know, would not it be nice to get on track? Well, yes. But it's a much better question to be able to ask, hang on a second, were we already on the right track or is there another track perhaps that we need to be on? And so I've seen that acceleration and it's really been amazing to see because I think that what's happened is there really has been a fascinating shift in how we now need to be in order to serve the people that we're privileged to serve, a, a massive, massive shift. And I'm, I'm happy to talk about that, by the way. It's a, let's, it's let's a fascinating. Do
0: it. Let's do it. Yeah. If, if you're coming by on Facebook, we this is the non Exchange. I'm Hugh Ballou, founder and president of Center Vision Leadership Foundation. And my, my guest today is Paul Dunn, um, very experienced in leadership and business development and creative, creative thinking. And it, it, we're we're recording this. If you're listening to this on a podcast or watching the video, um, in another year we're in 2021, and we're we're sort of <laughs> in a place coming out of the, the the great pandemic of 2020. And it's been a it's been a um a sobering awakening. Um, I do believe, Paul. Yeah. And um, you quoted Jim Rohn. Jim Rohn inspired so many people. Uh, Les Brown. Oh,
1: absolutely. And yeah, Andy. Absolutely.
0: Andy um, uh, Robbins. You know, so many. And of course, Jim Rohn. Dr- was from the wisdom of napoleon hill like like so many thought leaders do but he um Mm -hmm. he was very legendary he was he was famous for saying i jot this down and he would say work on yourself harder than you work on your business and so we're 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 at a page where it's it's sorting out yeah many times (laughs) he also said the people driving the budget cars are in the back row or they didn't come today the people driving the expensive cars are on the front row because they know they got to learn a lot more. So there's, there's some myths about leadership. You know, some of them, I heard the speech or I read the book. I've got it. I got it down. It's a plateau, you know, I've got there. So there's other myths about it and Covey certainly inspired so many people. And what popped out of what you're saying is we begin with the end in mind. What is the North star? Where are we going? You know, what's our journey about? And in our, um, So learning business is one of the goals of the nonprofit exchange. We are in a tax exempt business, whether we're a clergy um, leading an association, a nonprofit association, or leading a cause-based charity in a community, or in education, there's many many tax exempt um, educational organizations as well. We have a hard job and it's our job as leaders to look in the future we're, we, we work and live and think in the future because we see potential. So, so as we, as we proceed with this, what are some of the most important lessons that you learned in that journey you talked about? And, and secondarily, after you talk about what you learned, what have you observed or some of the, the major pitfalls that leaders, leaders have, you know, I, I, I had a Kodak dealership and i had five distinctly different leaderships with kodak in the, uh, up through to the 90s and that's when kodak dominated imaging in the world they were blind, <laughs> blind to digital imaging they were blind to fuji coming in all the other competition and they basically lost their market and went into bankruptcy and to me that's a failure blindside blind you know your blind spots in leadership and it nobody's exempt from that so Talk about some of the some of those kinds of things you've experienced that leaders have been blindsided because of their own own close-mindedness. So, what have you learned, and what have you observed with leaders that could be better?
1: Mm. Well, as I said, there's this uh, you know there's been there's been this massive uh, acceleration, and and I, I may be wrong about this, but but to me, uh, it it kind of kickstarted. You know, in uh, 2008, I think, uh, or just before that, when we're talking of seminars, you know, we really could, we could have gone in 2007, we could have gone to seminars which had the underlying theme, you know, greed is good, right, <laughs> and, and then we learned, hang on a second, that doesn't work too well, right, and so now there's been this really interesting acceleration, and, and I think now we are Uh, in a a very different uh, time. So, uh, you know, Cubby talked about the seven habits. So maybe, and I've never thought of this before, actually. So thank you for the opportunity to do it. Let me talk about, let me talk quickly about, and I'll give it a new label. There you go, Uh, uh, Hugh. I've learned something already. So here are what I would call the seven shifts, right? So the first shift is, and it's a shift from me to we. And, and what I mean about that is that we cannot have been on this planet for the last 12 months or so to understand that we are connected. In, in, we've always been that way, but we sometimes we just don't recognize that. So from a leader's point of view, it's not about me anymore. It's not about you. It never was, by the way. But now it's about we. It's about us, if you like. The other thing is, you know, lots of people talk about, you know, what you can measure, you can manage. The problem is, though, that we sometimes measure the wrong things. And I think one of the things that we tend to measure is inputs when, in fact, we should be measuring outcomes. And the moment you think about the outcomes, then you start to realize that your own wealth, your own or t- talking about the company now, your own wealth, your, your, your own profits, if you will, your own revenues, your own revenues are a direct, or your own value, it is a direct result of the value that you, that you add to others, it's a direct result. And so I think we need to move from being concerned with the inputs to being concerned a, about the outcomes. Um, and then uh, value, the value that we give has always been important, but never before, are values as important, values, what we stand for is now crucial, and I'll talk a little bit about a friend of mine who uh, wrote an interesting book that I'm sure many of us have read. But I'll come to that in just a second. Then I think also talking of money, I think there's been this massive shift from money to meaning. You know, just pre-pandemic, I was seeing a lot of people, uh, you know, senior executive roles who were being paid a lot of money and uh, they were going home at the end of the day and they would put their head on the pillow and essentially would be asking before they fell asleep, is that all there is? And it's not all there is, right? And so we're seeing this massive shift from money to meaning. And then Simon Sinek, my friend Simon, talked, you know, in 2009 with his uh, Start With Why book and thanks to him, we now understand that it's not about what we do. It's no longer about what we do. It's, it's about why we do what we do. And then when you get that, here's the seventh one. And the seventh one is sometimes a bit hard for people to get their head around. Uh, the way I, I draw it is like profit to purpose. And some people say, oh, does that mean that profit or revenue isn't, isn't important? No, what it means is that purpose powers profit purpose power. And if you want to go a little bit further than that, impact powers income. So very simple, create more impact for the people that you are privileged to serve and work with, and be really seriously on purpose, or what I would call impact driven. And then when you're impact driven, you're automatically getting that North Star, and automatically doing great things for The people that you're serving.
0: I'd like to highlight that, you know, we 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 have this term we use, which is an absolute lie, called nonprofit, and so (laughs) and so it helps it it makes us think in minimalist scarcity terms. When in fact, exactly. In fact, we we build this organization. It's like building a car and having no gas to go anywhere. You got to put gas in the car. You got to put the fuel, which is the funding, into your 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 tax-exempt business, which is not a for-profit. We're not there for profit. We're there for purpose. However, we have to be mindful of what you just highlighted. You know, we have to. It's it's not profit per se. It's proceeds, which are then funneled back into the work. And fundamentally, what you just highlighted about impact. That's the driver in the, in the social benefit, the tax-exempt business. That's the driver for people to want to participate. That's the value we give is the impact we have on people's lives. So I just wanted to highlight the synergy. And in, in, um, I think there's a bigger connection between business and nonprofit and how they could collaborate. So sorry to interrupt you, but you, you're preaching. No, you, you're preaching have, you haven't interrupted
1: story. at all. You've, uh, you've amplified. I appreciate that. That's great. Yes,
0: sir. Yes, sir. Go for
1: it. So, uh, you know, as, as I was saying, you, you've you've uh, you've massively uh, amplified it, you know. And just uh, today, I, I was uh, thinking of um, someone in the for-profit space uh, who, and, and and by the way, I, I actually think that there, there's there will, in fact, here here in Singapore. Uh, about uh, eight years, five, yeah, maybe six years ago, uh, the uh, we had a, an office in one of the innovation centres in one of the universities here, and uh, so the university was doing a survey on behalf of the government, and the question they asked was, uh, should should the government uh, uh, develop some special tax incentives? Uh, for uh, the for not for profit, no. This is going this is going to be really interesting, right? So, and and I said, well, uh, no. And they said, what are you saying? No, but no one said no. And, and I said, well, they certainly could do that, and and we wouldn't say no to it. But I think that more and more we are going to see more for purpose or more impact driven companies. Uh, in in the world it's just the way it is going to be we are all going to move that way Um, and I I like what talking of a a, someone who we would associate very much with uh, with profit and that is uh, uh, Lawrence Fink or Larry Fink uh, at BlackRock Um, and you know you you, uh, I I read today actually that seven trillion dollars flows through BlackRock every day I mean just just imagine that. And of course, what they're doing is they're taking funds, well, not taking funds, but they're suggesting that you and I might give them our money and that they would then invest that uh, in startups and all of those sorts of things, and then give us a return on that investment. But he is really, really interesting because uh, let, me, let me read you something that, uh, that he, he said recently, he said, Purpose is not a mere tagline or a marketing campaign. It is our fundamental reason for being. It's what a company does every day. Here's, here's the word you used just a minute ago here to create value for its stakeholders. Purpose is not the sole pursuit of profits or revenues or whatever, but is, it is the animating force for achieving them profits are in no way inconsistent with purpose. In fact, profits, revenue, and purpose are inextricably linked. I, I I love the way he says that, particularly this whole thing around, you know, purpose is not the sole pursuit of money and revenue, but is the animating force for achieving them. I like that a lot.
0: That's perfect. Oh, that is powerful. Thank you for sharing that. So you were you were headed down a track, and I interrupted you. So you want to go back to the exploring the the track you were on
1: oh no 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 no. i mean i i did, <laughs> i could i could i could keep going for years on any track but I, if you wanted me to give you the sort of top line of that it would be impact powers income and purpose powers profit but there's another interesting thing if anybody has been writing these things down okay so If you look at the things that I would describe on the left-hand side, right? So that was me, it was inputs, it was value, it was money, it was what, and it was profit. When I look at those things, just those seven things, there's only one word that comes to my mind when I think about those words, and that word is transactional. Everything there is transactional. On the other hand, when I think about the things on the opposite side of that, that is to say, we, outcomes, value, meaning, why, and purpose, there are two words that, that come to mind when I think about those. The first one is humanity. I, 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 I love that word. Uh, in, in fact, the, uh, the, uh, <laughs> the biggest the biggest association of accountants in the world, that is called the AICPA, uh, in, in the U.S. just did this amazing study. Some Someone might want to go online. It's called Human Signals. And it talks about how, you know, the humble accountant, right? the humble accountant has to really understand this whole purpose-driven thing. It's, it's really a fascinating report. And I think it would be valuable for any leader anyway. So it's called Human Signals and the AIC put it out. But again, if I look at the right-hand side of that thing, purpose, why, meaning, values, and outcomes, as I said, humanity is, is, is central to it. But I think there's another word that's central to it as well. And that word is connection. And I, I think connection is, I think there are two words that really uh, underscore where we have to be in leadership now. And those two words are connection and belonging. And I, I rather like what uh, Jeff Bezos said uh, pre-divorce <laughs> in, uh, in an interview. And uh, he was being interviewed in front of you know, a massive crowd. And the interviewer said to him, um, Jeff, by the way, don't you think that'd be rather nice to be on a first-name basis with Bezos? Anyway, so he says, so he says Jeff, uh, what would be the advice that you would give to your... This was like two years ago, right? what would be the advice that you would give to your marketing department now as compared with what you did on day one of Amazon? Um, Bezos looked straight at him and he said, well, it, it would be exactly the same as it was on day one. And and the interviewer said, oh, really? Like like what? And And Bezos said, we need to remember every time that people want something to belong to. So I think connection and belonging should drive everything that we do um, in, in terms of leadership. And then of course, the role of leadership. I think it was Neil Neil Donald Walsh, uh, you know, in Conversations with God that, that, that said, I think in, in book one, actually, uh, that said the role of a leader is not to generate followers. The role or a, a leader, the success of a leader is measured by the leaders they create, not the followers they have. And, and you know, I, again, I think that underscores where we are at, and that's the kind of thinking that creates great leaders at any time, but particularly now.
0: Everything that you've said so far resonates with what we teach uh, at Center Vision Leadership Foundation. We, we subscribe to the transformational leadership model, which is about building leaders yeah, on yeah. teams. And it's not about you baba it's about the vision i'm gonna do a sponsor moment when we come back i would like you to respond to a james allen quote uh from a, as a as a man thinketh he's and i'm gonna move it into generic um people want to change their circumstances but are unwilling to change themselves they therefore mm. remain bound so i want to talk about mm. our magazine and our our sponsor we are able to do lots of free programs because we have sponsors and we provide value for our sponsors. We publish Vision publishes nonprofit performance magazine. Here's our friend uh, Mike uh, Frank Schenkwitz, who motorcycle policeman knew nothing about nonprofits, but he started a very powerful nonprofit. But he had a, he had a clear vision, and he surrounded himself with people that could do it. And he wasn't running it when he died, but he he was the subject of a movie, Wish Man, which is very precious. But this magazine is our uh, is our connection to our supporters, and our subscribers. And so people that, that get that, remember us, it's called top of mind marketing, because the company that sends it is called Word Sprint. And we remember Word Sprint in every issue, because they work with organizations, colleges, nonprofits, businesses, sending mail that people can have in their hand. And it's the touch point that you remind people of the value that you're providing. If we're in a nonprofit and we have, I'm using the word because it defines the sector. If we have people (laughs) who've given us money, we let them know the value that money has created and that we've been good stewards. So that when we come back around to an annual campaign, it's not just one one letter they get, it's been a series of value-based letters updating them on what's happened. And and now, now they say, okay, I see it, I'm gonna support you. So wordsprint.com, wordsprint.com, Bill Gilmer and his team will gladly uh, share with you their methodology, whether you use them or not, but they're the master of helping you keep in touch with your tribe, keep your donors donating, keep your customers buying and actually getting new ones because they matter. You have kept in touch with them. So it's relationship based marketing and we're grateful for for them and the work that they help us do with center vision and the magazine so responsibility i gave you a james allen quote one of my favorite quotes Uh, he also said you don't attract what you need you attract what you are um so (laughs) so that those are those are concepts in a very simple little book there's just a number of, of very strong quotes but those two jump out at me relevant to what you're talking about so our responsibility as a leader and, you know, we've, we've sort of talked around it, but self-awareness is a big one, isn't it?
1: Well, it's, it certainly is. And, you know, when we talk about connection, right, we tend to think that's talking about connection to others. It's not. It's talking about connection to you. That That's what it's talking about because you, 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 you cannot, you know, authentically uh, connect unless you are connected to you. So it starts... Uh, it absolutely starts inside. And, and James Allen was uh, right on, absolutely right on. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's, it's very interesting, by the way, when you see one of the great things that you, you're able to do is, you know, is pull these, these fabulous insights from people from, you know, different backgrounds and so on and so forth. And the funny thing is, right? Well, maybe it's not so funny but they all say the same thing. Right? So, <laughs> so all we have to do is be curious enough to, uh, to seek them out and, uh, and then inspired in ourselves to be able to use them in all sorts of different ways.
0: It, it, yes, and it's, that's awareness. So I'm gonna switch my persona from being in the mountains of uh, the Western side of the Commonwealth, Virginia to being in the concert hall. And you talked a minute ago about our, our ultimate goal is an influence. But as the conductor, influence is the pathway to impact. So I've got this little white stick, and I'm front of these front of these union musicians. And people who aren't conductors think, <laughs> think we're dictators. But I tell you what, you got a little white stick, you can't make anybody do anything. They're going to play for the two hours you've hired them, and then they're going to leave. But they will perform at a higher <laughs> level right? They're, they're, they're union. They're going to say, we're going to play the notes we're leaving. However, if we influence them, they will play at a much higher level. So Absolutely. through our influence, you know, it's, our, it's us as influencers, not as power people, that we get results. And everybody in that group is a leader in their own right. They're very skilled at what they do. So it's the leader's job to influence them to step up. And in a symphony, it's the harmony of the synergy, which I got the name of my organization. It's the harmony through the synergy and the commonness of the vision. So speak for a minute. Now you've you had a business where you influenced leaders, you talked about the accountants, but you business leaders all over the globe. And Mm -hmm. so the essential part of what I just talked about is leaders paving the path and encouraging and influencing people to step up to their potential.
1: Exactly, and I, 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 I love that photograph behind you, by the way. And I, and I, I, I as, you, uh, as you put it up there, I, I wondered to myself, what would Hugh be saying to the orchestra before the orchestra gets on stage? What yeah, would I'll you
0: say? With, I, I, I will repeat a quote from the famous conductor, Robert Shaw, with whom I spent thousands of hours studying. He, he said, you know, this is going to be a great performance to the collection of choir and orchestra, and it's going to be all your fault. And so you know, <laughs> Robert Shaw was, was famous for his pithy staying, sayings, which just boom, he, would, he didn't care. He was an equal opportunity offender, but he would be very profound in how he framed things, which encouraged us to step up and do our part. Because the conductor doesn't do it, the conductor allows us to do it. So that's the leadership paradigm. We don't do it. We allow others and we provide the space and the guidance for others. Is that right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So and, and that's the that's the beauty, isn't it, of being able to frame, you know, to frame things. And um, and I, I think what's interesting too is that uh, you know, I mentioned earlier on that. If you're continually curious, uh, then you start to see new things that were always there, but you just yeah, you just didn't see them. And so uh, right now, one of those things for me is um, you know, in fact, a friend of mine was 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 talking uh, yesterday about a new uh, podcast that he was going to be doing in Australia, and it was for for purpose uh, companies, right? and his name is Tristram, and I said, Tristram, one of the things that I'm talking about these days is, yeah, I've been talking about for purpose for a long time, but I'm, I'm, I'm switching it up to talk about being impact driven. And he said, oh my goodness, I like that because it's a little more active, if you will, than you know, that, than simply for purpose. And so uh, we, we have uh, businesses, for example, who on their month or on their daily uh, catch up, uh, they have what we call a morning tea for good, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then we will talk about the impact. So the reason I ask you that question about the audience is I wonder, uh, I'm sorry about the orchestra. I, I wondered how I would do that. And probably now I would say something along the lines of, Brian, you're, you're, I could not beat that quote, and I'm not trying to beat that quote. But I think that if everybody gets the idea that we are here to impact, and we are driven by that impact, so we're not focused on ourselves, we're focused on the others and the impact that we create, uh, then to me, that's, that, that's like a, a game-changing thing. It really is game changing. And once you, one of the experiences that I've had recently is where people sort of run with that idea of being impact-driven, and then they start to measure the impacts that they're creating in various ways. So for example, I know that you are huge on meetings, right? You're huge on meetings. You have these these wonderful playbooks as to how to create great meetings. One of the things we do is we measure the impact of the meeting, believe it or not. Everybody everybody has an opportunity to rate it out of 10. And what actually happens because we're in you know, B1G1 and we, it's, that's all about giving. And so what happens is we have a budget uh, which allows us to give depending upon the success of the meeting. So if you rated uh, if the average rating on the meeting was a 10, then the entire budget would go to, or the entire budget for that meeting, if you will, will go you know to wherever it was planned to go. If on the other hand, you rated it as like a seven, mm, not so good, right? Because then uh, not not so much giving gets done. So, um, so again, it's all about focusing on outcomes uh, that that you get, and then being able to rate those outcomes, and then have some consequences as a result of the outcome, which is kind of cool, but also to make it a fun experience as well.
0: It's got to be fun. I, I I I term music rehearsals as attitude adjustment. <laughs> I impact their attitude. So they leave feeling better than when they came in. Not all meetings do. So meetings should do the same thing. We're empowering meetings, put a damper on teams. And so I've done webinars and whatnot. So I've been a serious student of meeting facilitation. And the real crime is there's people think they know how to run meetings, but they don't. And so let's go back to the analogy of grading the impact. Um, A conductor is only as good as their last performance. And, oh, and,
1: I'm and, so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that. I'll tell you why in a minute.
0: It's immediately <laughs> it's immediately evident if we've done our work or not. It's immediately evident. In, in a nonprofit board or a corporate board, it's not evident till later. We have, we have bad systems and they materialize. People think we're okay until all of a sudden there's a train wreck. So there's a delayed awareness for their dysfunction, where in music, it's instant. So, it's yes. the awareness of how leaders are creating problems or solving problems. So, what's your thought?
1: Oh, well, first of all, I'm so glad you, you said that about you're only as good as your last performance. I remember uh, just after the James Roan thing, right, where, where that was like, oh my God, you know. And uh, uh, then a very good uh, friend of mine said, you know, Paul, you really should do what you felt that you should do, uh, this is the next day, and you should, you should be, and this guy was talking to me, was a guy called Ron Tacky. And Ron was a great speaker, just an awesome speaker. And uh, I, I remember him saying, he said, look, there are, there are three things. Uh, he said, one, uh, don't believe your press releases, right? <laughs> <laughs> and never do it for the applause. In fact, you'll get standing ovations, but never do it for the ovations. And then his final thing was, always remember, you're only as good as as your last speech. (laughs) (laughs) That just brought back a lot of memories for me right there.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So we always need to be treating every opportunity as special and new and important. Sometimes we don't do that. And that's what gets us in the end.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And and how thrilling is it that through you know I, I mean I, I I love Hugh the uh, the music analogies that you use because you know I mean just all of us in leadership right now right just imagine just imagine that we were in fact conducting an an orchestra right and we've got two hours right or whatever the length of that performance is to make sure that everyone is absolutely at their best and they're supporting the other person nearest and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, how cool is that for an analogy of what creates an extraordinary organization?
0: And I, um, I'm sort of the, you talked about starting a new pathway and doing something different. Um, I'm, I, the last three, I served megachurches as music director and they were all in crisis when I got there. And so we just decided. In in the last one, the bishop sent the preacher there to close down the church in Alabama. We didn't. We doubled the uh, attendance. We built a hundred thousand square foot auditorium. We we brought in world class artists like at New York City. We had this artist series that was was a winner, which for which we paid nothing. You know, we negotiated with uh, others to be able to do this together. We had the facility, so we don't think enough as leaders about sharing the stage, about bringing collaboration in. So we've, oh. we've experienced, you know, with the Napoleon Hill writing, he interviewed amazing thought leaders, but that was the age of, of greed capitalism. It was the, the you know, the, yeah. the greedy. So, and then we've, we've experienced the, 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 um, the power system of communism, it's enslaves people. Now there's a time to come up to some sort of, as, as Bernie Dorman, who recently died, who founded CEO space, his dad said, let's establish cooperative, capitalism where we work together and so so coming together blurring the lines between this this nomenclature and that nomenclature how do we work together for the greater purpose the greater good and impact i'd like to unpack what you did in your business inspired so many business leaders and you shared with me we talked a few days ago that um before the pandemic you flew something like four hundred thousand miles and you're not flying now so you flew around impacting a whole lot of people so what was the most important revelation in all of that work with the business with businesses accountants what was the most important revelation you helped people achieve as leaders
1: oh wow that's that that is a that's such a deep question um So let me just go back into um, the the feedback, you know, that that you get as a result of the work that you do. And one of the most interesting feedbacks that I think gets to your question is that we see things in interesting places, provided we're curious, right, and provided we provided we open our eyes and just uh, pre-pandemic actually I was in uh, a line I believe in America you call them a line elsewhere in the world they call them queues but let's say it's a line and I I was in a line here in Singapore in Starbucks and uh, I'm not a reader of uh, newspapers but they happen to have the news you know they have the newspaper region in the line right so I'll take a look And there on the top right of the uh, of the leader, uh, sorry, of the uh, newspaper was this quote that was plugging, if that's the right word, a section of the newspaper. And the quote said this, we have not inherited the world from our forefathers. We've borrowed it from our children. And the moment that hit me i was actually in the middle of of writing a, a book which was called legacy and and go oh my goodness that's 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 it right right there and then i started to think about the legacy and you know when we think about legacy we think about leaving it right it, but the, the the interesting thing as leaders then we we don't have a choice about whether we're going to leave it i mean we're going to leave it right but the question is what does it look like that's the question and so does it look like one for example of consumption or does it look like one of contribution and then whilst you uh, in your career hugh um worked with the magic of music um and there oh, there's so much magic in music isn't there but um, you know, and the, the Quincy Joneses and all of those things, right? So so I, I find magic in words and I, and, I, and I start to string different words together. So I thought about this whole idea of leave a legacy and then the idea that we don't have a choice about that. right? So then I thought of some other L words that might make, uh, might sort of go along with legacy. So I thought, instead of leaving a legacy, why don't we live a legacy? Why don't we do that every single moment? And then, because we are leaders, leaders of our churches, leaders of our not-for-profits, we have this incredible opportunity to leverage that legacy. And so we become another way of thinking about... What we do as as leaders is to think of ourselves as the guardian, if you will, uh, of of that legacy, and and we do that not by worrying about leaving it, but by living it and by leveraging it at every moment. And and just in relation to your question, that's been one of the one of the beautiful pieces of feedback uh, that I get from uh, from speaking. So. Yeah, I hope that's of value to the people who joined us today as well.
0: It's brilliant. And I'd like to, You're if you're watching this on Facebook, um, go to the, the nonprofitexchange.org. And you'll be able to find this interview with uh, Paul Dunn. And you'll see a transcription. And all of these things he's highlighting will be in that transcription. So you don't have to be scrambling writing it down. You can go look at the page and the transcription will be there. So Paul, let's unpack a couple of things in the minutes we have left. Um, you built this 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 important um, business where you influenced businesses and you were speaker all over the world, which led you to uh, founding an organization called um, B1G1. And I'm just fine. Yeah.
1: Beautifully I'm, said, B1G1, yeah. Yeah.
0: So I'm, I am I want um, to, for people who are, who are um, on, on the podcast, you won't be able to see it, but you can go to the webpage at nonprofitexchange.org, and you can see the screenshot I'll put there. But I'm going to show a screenshot for people watching on video about uh, B1G1. So give us some context. What was the inspiration for founding this really powerful It's sort of a movement, it's not just a website, it's a movement encouraging people to think differently and to to act differently on those thoughts. Um, Jim Rohn also said, 100 people have an idea, but only three will do something. 100 people here, <laughs> we here, but only three will do something. It's it's the law of averages. So you actually had a thought, you got some inspiration, and you did something, and you're encouraging other people to do things. So talk about B1G1, what was your inspiration, and what's the value on both sides, nonprofits and, and business side, for participating sure. in this?
1: Well, the the simple insight, which came from uh, a lady called Masami, Masami Sado, who I was mentoring, and she uh, turned the whole mentoring thing on its head. Instead of uh, me asking the question, she asked me one and uh, asking me permission. It was okay, And she said, uh, could you just imagine something? Could you just imagine a world where every time business was done, something great happened in our world? And I, went, well, you know, yes I can, but, but tell me more kind of thing. And, and so she said, well, I've, in those early days in 2007, she said, I've called it buy one, give one. And I said, well, how would that work? And uh, she said, well, imagine you go to, for example, in the US, someone like Best Buy, and uh, you want to go buy a, a plasma TV or whatever. And I I said, hang on a second, what did you call it? Buy one, give one. So Masami, if I go buy a, uh, a, a plasma TV, they're not gonna give me one. You know, That's just not the way the world works. And she said, no, 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 you're misunderstanding. She said, imagine when you bought that because you wanted better vision, you wanted bigger vision, whatever. So she said, imagine when you bought that, if as a direct result of that, somebody who could not see got the gift of sign. And I'm like, oh, God. Or imagine, you know, when we go, I talked about Starbucks before, right? Imagine when we go by a Starbucks, for example, if, you know, some of the 780 million people who don't have water, uh, imagine if they got it just because we did that. Um, Imagine, you know, if uh, with books every time a book was bought, one of those things that you see behind me right now called a tree got planted and that was the initial idea, but then that's gone way beyond that so that, for example, just because we're having this meeting right now, uh, 11 kids getting access to education just because we're having the meeting every time we send an email somebody gets access to water and that doesn't sound like a big thing until you remember that every second there are 2.7 million emails sent. So just imagine through applying the power of small that we could create these huge things and as you kindly said we've uh, been able with the help by the way of, of some amazing uh, not-for-profits and, and stuff and we by the way are proudly a 5013C as well right. So. Uh, so we know we know what that's like. Uh, so with the uh, uh, help of some amazing nonprofits around the world who become a part of B1G1, and then we introduce business owners in various ways uh, to uh, those organizations. Um, and as we sit here right now, well, we just crossed uh, 229 million giving impacts. Again, notice the word impact. Uh, giving impact so that's what I have the pleasure of doing every single morning (laughs) and and that's one of the reasons by the way why this whole thing you know if if there was one thing that we sometimes uh, look at in relation to not-for-profits for example that are doing awesome work awesome awesome work and if there was one piece of advice that I would be uh, you know if they would allow me to give them one piece right it would be that we, we 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 seriously need to convert the awesome work that you're doing away from the dollars and cents and towards the impact that is being created the moment we do that what what actually happens is we connect we talked about that before in a very different way, uh, with uh, with the people that we are connecting with, and so as a result, things get rather interesting. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That's um, thank you for asking me to explain that. By the way, I hope I explained it. I hope I explained it well enough.
0: That was brilliant. Um, so what's that statistic? How many impacts? Two point something million. Two hundred
1: twenty nine million uh, right now.
0: And that's a total of what you've been able to accomplish since you started, how long has this been in in existence?
1: Well, that started, that was in, in 2000, well, really 2007 was when the idea came, you know, but it didn't, it sounds such a simple idea, but it took us three years to figure out how to do that. So, and we're still learning, right? So it's, uh, uh, so it's from 2010 was when it first went uh, live and uh, it's now uh, rapidly I mean really seriously rapidly uh, accelerating and so we see that hitting a billion impacts rather quickly as well Um, and just doing you know great things and so uh, and you know potentially, I mean one of the great things about you uh, Hugh is your ability to connect uh, with uh, you know uh, NFPs and all of those people and to provide them with you know great things, and so if there's some way that uh, they think that some of the things we're doing at B1G1 uh, might help them create even more impacts, then we'd certainly love to hear from them.
0: Great, B1G1.org, it's on the page at the nonprofitexchange.org. You can find this interview along with the others from seven years, but um, each person has their own insights. We've never had one quite like this, Paul Dunn. This has been
1: Oh, really? <laughs> very
0: informative very inspiring and it really um i'll be 75 this year and um i've learned more in the last year about leadership than i learned in the previous 73 it's so, yeah,
1: exactly isn't that isn't that amazing but well, i've got two years on you by the way
0: <laughs> well we're still uh so you know as a, as a conductor I, I, I cherish the work of the opera composer uh giuseppe Verdi. And his early works were classical, like Rigoletto, then he had a bunch of romantic operas, and then he moved into the next era of, of music, and when he did the Requiem and Otello and the late three pieces, and the critics said he was senile. Well, he was so far ahead of them, <laughs> they didn't get it. So I'm in my third period, so I'm thinking this is where I do my best work. So I'm taking that that inspiration. So um, you've given us a lot to think about. We try to keep these under an hour um, because we could talk all day. These are just terrific things. At (laughs)
1: least.
0: Yes, at least. We got to hurry up. You know, in our age, we got a lot more to do. I was really inspired by uh, Bob Proctor. I had to follow him on stage, and he was out there, and he said, you know, People said, Bob, this was several years ago, he's in his 80s, said, Bob, you're 77, when are you going to slow down? He said, I'm 77, I got to speed up, I got more to do, more to learn, and I'm happy. you
1: go, that's exactly, that's exactly the truth. <laughs> he's
0: still doing, he's still doing, and uh, Robert Shaw worked into his senior years and was very active and inspired so many people. And um, yeah. so as we end this, what do you want to leave uh, people with? A thought or a challenge or a quote? What do you want to leave people with that would inspire them? And we will certainly send them to B1G1 and uh, and, and and discover what that's about. What, what inspiration or challenge or thought do you want to leave people with today?
1: Oh, uh, well, one that I had uh, just the other day is that sometimes we feel as though we're losing it, you know, we, it, it does, it's not all coming together. Uh, and one of the advices that we, or some of the advice that we get during those periods is, and, you know, I'm not a trained psychologist or anything like that, but one of the things I believe, and I don't want to knock what they say, because I'm sure there's great value in it, but they say, you know, what we need to do is to go inside and kind of figure things out. Um, I, I, I think from my uh short experience there's there's much more outside yes we've got to work on ourselves right we've absolutely got to work on ourselves right but we do that by seeing what's out there that we want to work on and that we can make an impact on and when we get that it just opens up the inside and inspires the inside for us to do what we are really here to do. And, uh, you know, someone asked me the other day, they said, uh, what is it you're here to do? And I said, well, I I got a question uh, a lot of years ago uh, that that someone said, what do you want to leave on your headstone, you know, on the the tombstone? And so I said, uh, it would go something like this. You know, he he was here for a while and whilst he was here, he made an impact. (laughs) So that was all of those years ago. So uh, hopefully that's, uh, that's still uh, going to be the case.
0: <laughs> Your legacy is strong. Um, thank you, Paul Dunn, for being our guest and sharing such great wisdom with our listeners today. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, you're incredibly generous. And so thank you very much for providing this space. I've loved every moment of it. Thank you, Paul.